Professor Bryn Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash the vulnerable scientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Dr. Elizabeth Kimani Murage, and I'm a senior research scientist at the African Population and Health Research Center. I lead work on maternal and child well-being, and particularly maternal and child nutrition. But more recently, I have been more, quite involved in the area of uh, food. So I'm promoting the right to food. I grew up in, uh, in Kiambu, District. Then it was called district, but now it's called Kiambu County. And um, I I grew up in a in a modest Christian family, and uh, we uh, we we did some bit of farming, uh, subsistence farming. I I remember that because I was very. I mean, of course, we were involved in that farming, and I also. My mom used to give me a small part of the land, small portion of the land for my own family. And um, we, we grew food first to feed ourselves. And then we also shared with people around us in the community. And then we also, uh, we also sold whatever was excess. And um, so my family, we were nine. We, have, we are a family of nine, so it's a big family. But uh, I grew up with four of my siblings. The others had grown up earlier before us. So I didn't interact a lot with the other, the other four. I interacted with the other four who grew up at the same time with me. Yes. So I, I went to a, a nearby school near our home. It was called Fadi Primary School, but it's spelled with a B. But in Kikuyu, we, we, we pronounce B as F. So Fadi Primary School. And um, I grew, I was a small girl when I was growing up. <laughs> of course, everyone is a small girl, but I was particularly small. Those were days when many people used to repeat. And uh, for me, I didn't repeat in any of the classes. And so I was in classes with very big people sometimes. I was uh, a, a relatively bright student. I used to talk my class most of the time. And so my, my, my stay in the school was quite enjoyable generally because um, teachers seemed to really kind of favor students who were, who were doing well. Uh, in when we did KCSE, I mean KCPE, the Kenya Certificate of Primary Education, I was top. I I was the top. I was the top student, and so I was admitted to a national school uh, called Loreto Limuru, Loreto High School Limuru, which was uh, one of the top schools at the time, national schools. And I spent my four years there. Uh, of course, there there was more competition than I ever I ever had in in high school, because uh, people came from different backgrounds. They were top in their schools, and so there was quite a bit more competition. But I also still did very well in uh, as as I went through the the studies, and I I passed well enough to go to to the university. And so I was admitted to, uh, at Moi University. I was admitted to do 
a BSc in environmental health, which equates to public health. We were the pioneers of the program, uh, uh, the environmental health, I mean the BSc in environmental health. When I was growing up, my mom always impressed on me that one day I'll be a judge, probably based on how she saw me thinking or arguing things or, or deciding things, or also because we were, as a family, we were involved in, in a long court case that I, <laughs> I experienced that the whole of my childhood, like for 20 years, we were involved in a court case on uh, regarding land. And um, so probably because of that exposure for her with court issues, she thought then maybe how she had observed the judges making judgments and all that, she thought I would become a judge. But then um, other people thought I would become a doctor and of course, that's what many people, when you're growing up, people want you to be what they think you should become. And so many people often told me, oh, oh, one boy, then I was called, I mean, now you call me Liz, but when I go home, they call me one boy, and uh, they were always like, one boy, you'll be a doctor, all that. Um, so when I, went, I was admitted to Moy University, I the course was sounded close to medicine in a way because it's public health just so in actually i was in the town campus in Moy university where we were we were the with the medical students so the, for the first two for the first year we actually attended the same classes with doctors so we did the same things but we split in second year when they did their there are other courses and we now started specializing in courses in our field. Yeah, so I I finished the the course, the BFC, the BSc uh, course in Mo University and then I I came I, I I graduated and I started looking for a job but then I I realized that it was very hard to get a substantive job without a master's. And uh, whenever I looked for a job, I saw the adverts indicated that they wanted someone with a master's of public health. And I realized I cannot waste any time. I went back to university the following year and went to do master's of public health in the same university. And, um, and so, yes, I got master's of public health and then after I, I finished, I got a job and I, I, after some years, I went back to the university and I did PhD in public health, specializing in nutrition. And that's how I started working on issues of nutrition. As I was growing up, I knew some people who are in science, but there could have been some influence then, but uh, I was more influenced when I went to the university. So when I was growing up, I used to see someone like uh, uh, Wangare Madai and the work she was doing, and that was interesting. As I grew up, I, when I was maybe a teenager, adolescent teenager, when I was in high school or when I had just finished, I remember some people telling me, oh, Wambu, you'll be like Wangari Madai, kind of thing. I don't know, for some reason, there was that kind of association at some point. Uh, um, you, if I mean, I, probably they, they saw something that resembled. Um, but when I went to the university is when I actually got interest in science, really, and uh, I know I was good in science study. I mean, the, in sciences, uh, when I was in like primary school, I did very well in science. But um, when I went to universities, when I got that interest, uh, as I said, I was admitted to do BSc in environmental health. The, 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 the program the, at Moy University Town Campus, they used a different approach to teaching and it was called self-directed learning. And in self-directed learning, we were expected to do a lot of um, a lot of work by ourselves. We do a lot of research, desk review, you go to the library, 
you you look for information you go to computers you look for information for yourself you teach yourself then you meet as students in a group facilitated by a lecturer you discuss what you have found so the, it was very research oriented kind of study and uh, within the program was also something we called com- community based education system in uh, in sec- in that year we were meant to go to to a community for 6 weeks you stay there in the community you stay with them you learn their their life, what they are doing the social issues the health issues and you do research on that so you interact with them you help them in the community about their health issues that they were experiencing but at the end of the day you do a research report so that really exposed me to research and then uh, in fourth year uh, we were expected to do now a, 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 a formal research where you actually start with uh, de- deriving a protocol and then you go to the field and collect data systematically and then you analyze that data and you you you, re- you document it you report it and so in fourth year i did a research which i was assessing the the quality of water uh, slum dwellers in langas in eldoret were using and so that all that exposure really gave me a lot of exposure to research but during that time when i was a student i also worked with professors in the university in their studies they were they were funded to do some studies like i remember when i was i think it was in third year i worked with a professor who was doing some work on quality of quality of life for it was a w world health organization kind of study and they, they they were establishing the quality of life of people and so i was involved in collecting data with people and uh, at some point i was also involved in analyzing data with uh, one of the professors yeah so for me the exposure was especially during my undergraduate studies and that's when i got interested in epidemiology because the people I, I worked with several of them were epidemiologists and I really I I got interested in epidemiology and so when I I thought of what I should study for my masters I wanted to do something that relates to epidemiology and epidemiology is the study of uh, disease distribution so um so you study diseases and how they are distributed within the community you know who is more affected and all that and what are the factors that affect uh, the distribution of the disease and so when i went i wanted to choose for masters i i went to do masters of public health because as i told you as i looked for jobs all everywhere i was just seeing master you, you need to have masters of public health but then i specialized in epidemiology and disease control Yeah so generally that's how I got interested in in science but then uh, I mean the story is long because I can talk more about how I really now got involved I would say that I'm a career mentee kind of thing I have been mentored so many times through my 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 life my my journey in my career um but let me say more formally from the time i i i went i got my first job so i got my first job at uh, the african population and health research center aphrc and um the uh, i was i was uh, i got the job as a research trainee so the research traineeship program was a mentorship program where people who had just done masters were were mentored into phd like they were prepared for phd studies and so during that time i was mentored by several people who are at aphrc towards gaining good skills in in research which would all would help me to to get a placement for phd and to be a successful phd student then i got a a doctoral fellowship uh to study phd in um in at the university of the vet botswana in south africa and um i that was i mean i was mentored because when you are doing a, a a 
a, a doctoral program, you get supervisors and they were also mentors for me. So that was kind of also a mentorship uh, where I went through the, the studies. And then after my PhD, I came back to APHRC as a postdoc, postdoctoral research scientist. And that's also a mentorship program. So I, I got the postdoctoral fellowship at APHRC, but also I got a fellowship with the Wellcome Trust. Also, it's a, it's a postdoctoral, so which now paid for my time at APHRC during my postdoctoral fellowship. And so being a fellowship, I was assigned mentors. Uh, so I had mentors, uh, two from, 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 uh, from the UK, uh, who are my sponsors through the Welcome Trust Fellowship. I had one from South Africa who was my, my doctoral mentor. And then uh, I had a mentor from APHRC who was my supervisor. So I really had all those mentors and I got through all that mentorship. And um, I, 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 I have also just finished a fellow, uh, another fellowship after that uh, mentorship. After that mentorship, then uh, I have grown to to become a senior research scientist at APHRC. But uh, more recently, I got another fellowship, and this is different. It's not a research fellowship. It was a public engagement fellowship with the Welcome Trust, and um, this was also a mentorship kind of program to become a public engagement ambassador, and which has opened my space. So as a researcher, I, of course, you're meant to really engage the public, the policymakers and everyone, but that really opened up for me the space for engagement and it was a mentorship program. Through that, I was allowed to have a coach. Then maybe it changed more from mentor, mentor but to coach. Who, um, so I had two coaches during this fellowship and one was a communications coach who coached me on communications. To be able to communicate my work, science, any communication uh, appropriate, uh, appropriately and effectively. I also had another coach who was a career coach or yeah, a leadership coach just to mentor me through leadership. Or, yeah, mainly through leadership. I mentor a lot. I have been mentoring a lot. I supervise students from, let me say, from past as a, as a supervisor. I have supervised several students at master's level, at PhD level. And so several students have gone through my hands and I mentor them. And also at APHRC, I mentor a lot of junior researchers, early career researchers who need uh, my, my mentorship. So um, one of the things when I have done assessments, there are some assessments we do at APHRC, leadership assessments and all that. One of the things that have come up strongly is that I do well in mentorship and I am really, uh, I'm really keen on mentorship because I have really been mentored myself. As I said, I'm a career mentee. All through my journey, I've been mentored and I really want to pass it on to others. And so at APHRC, in my unit, which I had, I had the maternal and child well-being unit. We have established a mentorship program. So uh, to mentor junior researchers, but uh, so to, uh, towards uh, research excellence and also towards their further studies and career progression. So generally, I mentor a lot. I think there are a lot of opportunities. First, starting with research opportunities, a lot of things that people can study in and um, so they can get involved in research. And as you have seen my career path, I started um, being a research trainee and I have progressed to being a senior research scientist. And for me, the journey has been great with a lot of learnings along the way. Um, so for, for me, research is a good path for, for young graduates in science uh, because you learn a lot through research. You learn a lot. You get exposed to a lot of things. 
you get exposed to a lot of information, evidence, and you learn so much. And then you also get opportunities to engage, engage the public, engage policymakers. So it's really a good career to take. But there are also opportunities in programming, like working with uh, maybe the government or the non-governmental organizations, implementing organizations to implement uh, to implement programs. And then there is also the, the track of getting into policy, like working with governments, like it would be Ministry of Health, to really for, uh, work to, to formulate policies. Yes, uh, so the, 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 there are a lot of opportunities. Of course, in Kenya, for example, especially um, job opportunities are a, a problem. I, I meet, I mean, many people interact with me like through Twitter. They tell me they have been looking for a job for two years and they have not gotten a job. And they, 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 so I, I know one who, who told me he got a, a first class in his university and he's still tamaking, he's still looking for a job. So it's not easy. And as I told you, when I grew, I mean, when I finished my undergraduate studies, I, 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 I looked for a job. For that during that one year that I I stayed out, and I realized I could not I could not just um, wait anymore. I had to add to my to top up my skills and my papers for me to get a substantive job. So I realized with one degree it's difficult. It was difficult for me to get a substantive job and had to go back to, to school and top it up so that I could stand out. Yeah, so there are all those difficulties, but there are opportunities. They are always there. Okay, if I call my career path starting from when I was a student, like, um, let me say, when I was doing my undergraduate studies as a uh, uh, at, uh, as, I say, as I said, I did my uh, a study when I was in fourth year, a research, uh, the, a research project. When I did my proposal, I, I wanted to do something that makes a difference. And I wanted, so I, I had a friend in, a, in an urban poor setting, that is Langas in Eldoret, that is a slum setting. And I used to visit them and I used to kind of observe the kind of water they were using. The water was was a, was from a, a shallow well and just next to the shallow well were pit latrines. And I was concerned about the kind of water they are using. And I really wanted to study that. So when I, when I, I was given the opportunity to do a research project, I wanted to do a research project where I would take water samples and take them to the lab and uh, evaluate whether they are safe, the water is safe for human consumption, to check for fecal coliforms and all those kind of things. But then funding was a problem. Um, I remember waiting for several weeks, looking for a, a way to really be able to do that kind of study. And... Um, some students were like, why are you struggling so much? Why don't you just do something simple, you know? Like something you can do. I, I, some, some of them said some people even do this under trees, so you don't have to struggle so much. But I really wanted to, make, to do something that makes a difference. But in that waiting and uh, looking, I was very lucky to get some support. I, I was given support by AMREF. I, re I learned they were also looking for opportunity for someone who would be able to establish the quality of water that the slum dwellers were using. They had a project in, in Eldoret and were, they were, they were, their, their project was to promote safe water, like uh, water through water kiosks, packed water through water kiosks, but they needed evidence of what the situation of water in the, in the community. And so then our interests met and I got funding through them to do the study and I completed the study and it was published. I mean, I, I got to publish it when I came to APHRC. And the same thing happened when I was doing my, AP, my master's, same issue of funding, but somehow I got funding with, for my master's, I got funding through the Care International, through their refugee 
assistance program. I also stayed for a long time before I could really make a, a breakthrough for funding. But I got the funding. I got. I worked with them as a volunteer, and they supported my work. When I have been at APHRC as a researcher, some of the challenges are are um, so you have. They say you publish or perish, and so publishing work, uh, being able to publish work, getting grants to be able to have projects is very critical for a researcher, and sometimes getting grants is really difficult so sometimes you a lot of times you get a regret when you have applied for a grant also when you submit paper sometimes you get negative re response you get a regret or rejections so those are the lows but there are so many highs in this career i have i mean of course when you get those um, those papers published when you get the the grants to do the work you you get success in grants that's a happy moment but more so when you see you are making a difference in people's lives so for me making a feeling the feeling that i'm making a difference in people's lives has been my high point i have been able there through the research that i have done i've been able to inform policies and programming in kenya and uh, also to inform uh, across Africa. I mean, uh, we do research across Africa, although most of our, my work has been in Kenya and East, Eastern, East and Southern African region. But yes, uh, so my highest moment is when I know the work I'm doing is influencing lives, it's transforming lives. Okay, when, when I went to the university to do the Bachelor's of Science in Environmental Health, I, I kind of did not feel very happy. I didn't feel that that's what I wanted to do at the time. The only thing that made me happy it was because it was close to medicine. And so, uh, because as, as I told you, as I was growing up, there, were, there was that jug... Uh, thinking around doing medicine and um, so when I when I when I was admitted I kind of felt a bit negative but then I got excited also because it was in a good campus the town campus where we were working we were with the medical students and it was removed from the main campus where so the, the kind of life in the town campus was a good life so I didn't um, but then when we continued, I, we were the pioneers in the program, the environmental health program. And I kind of, along the way, I started wondering, why did I accept to take this course? Because it was, we, we did not get um, the, the kind of tra training that I was expecting in a university, the kind of mentorship, I did not feel that I got it well or we got it well as a class. We even went on strike at some point, uh, alleging we don't have good uh, training. The, the training we were getting was not adequate. And uh, so some of the, sometimes I, I, I kind of thought I could have, um, I could have looked for something else at the time. When I accepted to do the degree, in BSc Environmental Health, I could have opted for something else. I could have looked for opportunity, but I did not do that. So I felt uh, through those four years, I felt like I was doing the wrong thing, and um, kind of um, uh, kind of sometimes regretted why I didn't think of changing. But I can say all that ends well is well. So after all this, it's been all successful. So I think I. I'm okay at, at, at this point. I, I wouldn't say I regret anymore. Like um, at that point, I regretted why I didn't change. I didn't look for opportunities to change and do something else. But now I think it's um, all that ends well is well. I, I think what I could tell myself if I was to go then is to actually be proactive in deciding what you want and look out for that opportunity so I just um, 
complied, kind of I accepted what I was given because I had not applied for this course actually because it wasn't in existence at the time we were in the in high school. Uh, so it was something that was new and so I just accepted to do it. But now, I mean, if I was to advise someone, I would tell them, look, be proactive, fight for what you want if it, until you can't get it, but at least do attempt. Okay, so as I said, I have been doing a lot of research in uh, maternal and child nutrition. That has been my main focus when I have been at PHRC. I have done um, especially a lot of research in uh, in Kenya, uh, amongst the urban poor particularly, but also in other settings, in rural settings. And uh, I have been... First, I have been trying to identify, I mean, to establish the situation of nutritional status amongst women and children, but then also looking out for strategy, doing research on strategies to optimize their well-being, to, to optimize nutrition for women and children. And through the research, I have been able to inform several policies that are related to that. For example, the Baby Friendly Community Initiative, I, I spearheaded the research that was done to inform the, the guidelines that were published in 2016. I have also been on uh, uh, working to, to inform other strategies, like the Workplace Support for Breastfeeding Guidelines. I have done research that has informed that. And the other, the one, one of the latest is the is the uh, human milk banking. You may have heard about the human milk bank at Pumwani Maternity Hospital. So we've been doing research behind that bank. And so, um, so how I have influenced the society is uh, really around just being able to find strategies and informing policy and programming around maternal and child nutrition has been, I mean, it's what I have contributed most to the society. And uh, through my research, I have realized that one of the, one of the drivers of poor, poor nutrition is actually food, the issue of food. And many women, for example, have told us the reason why we do not optimally breastfeed, the reason why we don't feed our children optimally is because we do not have food. So we have, like in urban poor settings, they say we have to, we don't have food. So we can't, it's difficult for us to breastfeed optimally when ourselves we are hungry. And some of them say we, we have to go look for, for work to be able to, to have food in the household. So we can't just stay back and just breastfeed the child when you talk about exclusive breastfeeding because the mother needs to be breastfeed the child exclusively for the first six months according to the World Health Organization guidelines. So those are so I have realized that food is really very important and have started working to research on that, to do research on that and to really find opportunities to optimize food security in communities and particularly in urban poor settings. And so my current work is really focused on integrating nutrition-specific and nutrition-sensitive interventions. Nutrition-specific being interventions like nutritional counseling to, to, to advise like mothers on how to breastfeed optimally, how to feed their children optimally, then nutrition sensitive being looking around, looking at other interventions that would uh, would 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 um, would promote breastfeeding. They are not the immediate, but they are they, they are uh, we, they are within the underlying factors like food security. So promoting food security would impact on on nutrition. So we we can't just tell mothers to breastfeed and breastfeed optimally if they are. They have no food in the household, so I have now started looking into that space. Advantages is really the opportunity to change lives, uh, to, to, to influence policy, to influence programming, and to change lives of people. 
for me that's as i said is one of the the things that make me happy when i think about my work my research because when you do research you inform you inform change so informing change in policy in programming and transforming people's lives is one of my greatest advantages um of course i came at a time when there is this whole thing about gender promoting gender equality and uh, so whenever like there are opportunities they often encourage women so in i i i i know that whenever i have applied for opportunities i may have been lucky that uh, there is this whole idea of equality and uh, so women are considered and they are encouraged to apply for these opportunities and have have been able to get many opportunities and a disadvantage as of being a woman in science we have many responsibilities we have a lot of responsibilities in the reproductive space at home we have the responsibility as a mother taking care of your children many things around that being a wife it has also its own a lot of responsibilities but then at the end of the day you still have to do your work as a scientist so we have to juggle between uh this research work and and uh the work uh, at at home the the reproductive space so like when i was doing my phd okay so i i told you i came to aphs as a research trainee and were given two years to be able to get a a place for phd and go for phd so two to three years so um so at at my third year i was now determined i need to go for, for i i need to get a phd placement and as we many of us know studying doing phd like here in kenya is very difficult and i didn't want to 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 do my phd here in kenya because i didn't want to spend too much time waiting to be to finish i have had many people talk of those challenges and so i i want i wanted to go outside of the country we hoped that we could get opportunities where where we could go as a family but that those are not easy and so i had to leave my family behind my child was 2 years and something some months 2 years and a few months and i had also to leave my husband behind so i had to go on uh, and combine the two so i i knew when i went i knew i had to finish this phd within record time at most 3 years but uh, so and then when i was doing the phd my my supervisors were very understanding and they allowed me to to juggle between my my responsibilities as a mother as a wife and as some as some as a family member with the the work i was doing for the phd and so i used to stay in south africa for 3 years i came to kenya for 2 years that was my life so i had to come and go come and go and that was my life and of course we had to keep in touch with my husband so that I, i can we can talk and also talk to the child and all that but yes those are some of the disadvantages that you you are a mother i mean many times you as a woman in science you a mother and a wife and also the scientist and you have to juggle between all those and so that for me is one of the difficult parts of course even today as i try to progress there are all those responsibilities that i still have to balance i'm very keen on promoting justice that is ambitious on top of my table now and um, i am very I, i'm very keen on human rights i'm passionate about particular to food i really want to promote the right to food i want to um to to end, i want to see everyone access food 
And so um, I have entered into that space of, uh, of human rights and promoting justice, promoting the right to food. And um, as we speak now, the, the current move is to really work, I mean, advocate for change of, have a paradigm shift, change mindsets around the narrative about food. Food has been commodified so much that it's now just a commodity and many people who do not have money have no have no food because if you don't have money you don't have food because many times you have to buy food and i i want to drive some narrative change around decommodification of food and recommodification of food making food be considered so we know that food is a human right as indicated i mean as recognized in the universal declaration of human rights and also in the international conventions um, which we are party to in Kenya we have and many other countries are party to those uh, to the conventions it is constitutionalized in our constitution we have a right to food and it's constitutionalized in many other countries but many people sleep hungry like you had in this during this covid time you heard of that woman who was cooking stones for, for her children really that is not that should not happen in a context where we recognize food as a human right nobody should have to sleep hungry nobody should have to cook stones for their children so i really want to drive that narrative change i want to i'm i'm driving a change towards having a universal food access policy so that people can be supported to to be able to to produce their own food and for those who are not able to produce their own food they are supported to to be able to access the food so uh, creating the the right environment that people can be able to to access food uh also recognizing food as a public good in which sense Uh, and as a human right where the government has responsibility if people do not have food from production and, and they are not able to purchase food they are vulnerable then the government takes responsibility to ensure that everyone can feed so i saw yesterday there was this uh, budget that was was allocated to to food security which is a good move uh, 60 60 billion that is a good move we want more of that we want really more of that and to ensure that we have like safety nets social protection so that the most vulnerable like that woman who was cooking stones for her children she can get support so that she can be able to have food for herself and her children so really that's my my next fight i want to 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 lead the the fight against hunger To, to, to zero hunger by 2030 that's my fight at the moment i really want to be in that fight and to be a leader in that fight against hunger towards zero hunger by 2030 in line with the sustainable development goal number two. actually just to add to the to the fight uh, i mean to the promotion of justice to building this legacy of justice i went back to school i I actually went back to school to study law and um uh, particularly interested in human rights law and uh, so currently I'm a lawyer also and uh yeah so that's where I am and I hope that uh, I can I can lead uh justice promotion I don't have my personal my personal experience with the issue of mental health but of course if you did assessments on mental health using the tools that I used you may find that even those people who do not think they have a mental health issue may actually have a mental health issue but I I I haven't had any mental health issue that has been identified but I have interacted with people with mental health issues I have I work amongst very vulnerable people and uh, communities and uh, who are juggling with very basic issues very basic issues the issue of food the issue of not sleeping hungry like 
or the issue of sleeping hungry several days. So I, maybe I can give an example of a friend that I had when I was in, in Moi University. I, as I mentioned, I had a friend in, in, the, in Langa Slum in Eldoret. I used to visit her and her family. They lived in Langas. She had two children and um, she, she was living in real poverty. And whenever I visited them, sometimes they didn't have anything to eat. Sometimes I took food to them. They, sometimes they didn't have anything. When I, sometimes when I went to them, they, they kind of warmed some water and um, put some tea leaves and they couldn't even warm it adequately because that means fuel. So they just warmed it, they didn't boil it. So sometimes I feared actually taking that tea. So it was just tea, water and water and that black, it was black tea. And as I took it, I mean, it was really uh, real poverty, if I may say. And um, the driver for that, she, this lady lived in some good lives before. She was married, but then she separated with her husband. And then she lost her job. She used to work and she lost her job. She kind of went into abject poverty, this real poverty, after living a good life before. And so this was really stressful for her. She had bouts of mental illness. She used to actually go, like what people say, go nuts. Like sometimes you find her on the streets. And at that point, she has lost it completely. And she was taken to medical, I mean, mental hospital. There was a mental hospital in at Moi Teaching and Referral Hospital. There was also a mental hospital there. And several times she used to be taken there and stay there for several weeks because she went, um, she had a problem. So that was my Okay, it's not, maybe it wasn't my inter first interaction with people with mental health, but that went deep. So this whole issue of struggling to find food, struggling to really just take care of her children, really made her go to that depth of mental illness. More recently, I, there is also another lady that I know who lives in Kibera. She, she during this COVID-19 period, she kind of also went nuts, if I may use that term, nuts. But um, what I mean is that she got that mental health problem. And this is, has been a very difficult time because people have really struggled with food. With, with, they have lost jobs. They, people who, who work these casual jobs, it has been a very difficult Time. So that person I know personally who was normally started like having those problems is the son who, who, wrote, who called me and told me the mother seems to be to have a problem and uh, wanted me to give them some money and some several times asking for food and all those kind of things. So, but these are not, this is not an isolated case. We, were, we have done some research in the in Korogosho and Rwanda, in the slums of Nairobi here, about the impact of, of COVID-19 government response measures on human rights, and particularly the right to food and, and food security. And what they have said that this period has been very, very difficult, and the response measures were did not consider their needs. They, they were not they are not cognizant of their needs. They were not. Uh, they didn't. They were not aligned to their human rights. And many people, of course, are hungry. Many people are very hungry. People have lost jobs. They don't have money for food. And they have said that this has resulted to a lot of uh, mental health issues, a lot of fights within families, people, a lot of gender-based violence because now people are. People have come from everyone from their productive space, now they are all in this reproductive space. The woman, the wife and the husband are together and there are a lot of struggles. So this whole, it has resulted in 
in a lot of these uh, um, uh, fights in families and um, but also just the fact that people do not have jobs and have don't have food has also resulted to mental health issues so that's i can say i mean of course that's not my only experience with mental health issues but that's um, that's that's what i can say for now Okay, um, so volunteer work. I, I volunteered, as I said, when I was doing my master's, I was looking for an opportunity also to, to get to, to fund my study. So I, was, I wanted to do must, um, my study amongst the refugees, and I wanted to find ways of um, controlling malaria for them. Malaria, that time I was interested in malaria. And... Um, so I got a volunteer opportunity with the Care International. So I went to Dadaab refugee camps and I stayed there for several months, six months. I conducted my research uh, during that period. And um, so I, I was a volunteer. So I was working with the, within their programs as a volunteer. I also volunteered to, to do teaching practice in the in the refugee schools so i was also a teacher i used to teach biology and um, for me probably all those things come together like when you have you 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 your cv when you you put there were times when that was the most important thing in my cv like when i was looking for a job at APHRC, there was no other of course, I did those other jobs that I told you. I, w- I used to do some contracts with the professors. I mean, some some research with professors. I also did some 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 contracts with uh, when I when I was stomaching when I was looking for a job in the year that I went back to the university. I did some small jobs here and there, doing research and all that. But that volunteer job was. An important one. It is one of the substantive jobs that I had done before I got the job in APHRC. But I also did an internship with the with the with the Ministry of Health for one year before I got my job at APHRC. It was not paid. It was a free kind. It was like a volunteer kind of internship. And uh, so all those two those two opportunities gave me an opportunity. I mean, exposed me to work even if not paid uh, at 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 care international I was being given a stipend so it wasn't too bad but um, it was still voluntary so I would I, I mean we we at APHRC we we have internship programs we don't call them volunteer programs we call them internship programs in the past we've not been paying for anything we have just been uh, giving people opportunity to come for 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 internship it's an opportunity to start working and many people who came as interns got their way through a job at APHRC when opportunities became available um, but more recently we have decided to formalize those internships and we are giving a small stipend and right, right now, for example, in my unit, my, the, the unit that I lead, we are admitting four interns uh, whom we are going to stay with for three to six months. We give them a small stipend. We work with them in the projects that we work in for them to get exposure to research, to work. So that, that also gives them an opportunity for work. I know how difficult it is to get a job in Kenya, really difficult. As I said, I... I tamaked that one year and I knew what it was. So I really also want to give people opportunity for for exposure to work even before they can get their substantive job. This promoting universal food access. And um, so so we want to, to, to ensure that, I mean, to see everyone access food, whether you have money or you don't have money. So we want to really help in the conceptualization of food so that food is seen as a human, a basic human need and a basic human right that everyone should be entitled. And um, I have 
I have been I, I have been co-opted as a co-lead in a, there is this UN summit that is coming up in September and um, so the UN summit for food systems it's a food systems summit and we want to present this idea of this policy at the UN summit I mean it's we want it to be presented of course at the UN summit now it's it's the member states that are involved in that but uh, we are now developing the idea and we want it adopted and present and uh, and presented at the UN summit for adoption by member states and we hope that that will be uh, adopted so that governments states can consider food as Uh, um, uh, can consider having a policy for universal food access. We know about universal education, uh, universal education, like now here in Kenya, we know that every child has a right to education and the government has put in place measures to ensure free primary education and uh, free secondary education now. We also know about the universal health coverage So we want food to be put in the same compact with universal education access and universal health coverage because food is so basic food is such a basic human need it is um, it is it is a basic human right upon which all many other rights are based like they they rely on on that right like the right the right to life you cannot talk of the right to life if you do not have food because if you don't have food then it means you can't live long you can't live any longer i mean of course a few after a few days if you don't you are not eating you may get sick and die so really food is very basic and very important and we should it should be put at that level and we hope that that will be adopted so we are starting uh we want to start a movement here in Kenya to really facilitate that reconceptualization through our so we have a vision for 2050 for Nairobi uh which we want to promote food security uh starting with the urban poor in Kenya but we want to really promote food security across the socioeconomic divide we know well the well the the urban poor are struggling with just getting food to eat just the food just the food itself people in other settings even in the in the top uh, up market are struggling with like quality of food safety of food we want to really promote access to safe nutritious food for all starting with urban poor and also across the socioeconomic divide so we really want to start a movement which promotes a universal food access and the right to food and uh, we will be calling on everyone to join us the public policy makers researchers the media everyone to join us in this movement and promote this once one advice i would want to give them is advice that i was given by my mother when i was very young i mean she always told me this she always said in my language if i could say it, um in in my language she used to say hega and when i i i translate that in in english is nothing good comes along easily what and she kept using that and um what that means is that for you to get something good or to succeed in something you really have to work hard it's not easy you have to work hard so she kind of inculcated that in me and when all through my journeys through all these journeys to from when i was still a very young when i was still in primary school i had to work hard i know i there are sometimes i i burnt nice oil even when i was in primary school i remember when i was in working to really ensure that i get good grades that continued all through my high school my campus nothing good comes along easily i had to really continue 
working and encouraging my son and that also at my work when sometimes you have to work hard for that proposal to be successful it takes an effort it's not easy as a scientist it's not easy nothing nobody meant that it's easy it is not easy one has to work hard but there is good reward work hard and you really put your effort in you will get good results so i always that is like that is like the advice i, I give to myself i always use that to myself and i also give to other people